everyone, this is Amanda Borsaldan, and welcome to Times Will Tell, the weekly podcast from the Times of Israel. This week, we're speaking with a dynamic young Israeli filmmaker named Danny Shofman, whose short Eiko was filmed in Burma after he lived in the fascinating, mysterious country for several years following NYU Film School. I've put a link in the program notes so you can watch Eiko now before you hear us discuss it or following our conversation. The 22-minute film follows a 12-year-old Burmese girl as she struggles to bring a blessed goat home to her village for her sister's wedding. Everything goes wrong, and we meet a colorful cast of characters along the way. Schaffman describes his initial culture shock in arriving in Burma, a country that was essentially closed to the world for 60 years. He talks about how he found himself giving an offering to a Buddha to ward off a curse while filming and how the Yiddish phrase man tracht und Gott lacht, man plans and God laughs, couldn't have been more true. Enjoy. Hi, Danny. Thank you for joining me. Where am I finding you today? I'm in Tel Aviv, Israel. <laughs> so glad to meet you. I just watched your film, Echo, and I really enjoyed it, which was filmed in Burma. But before we get to talking about the film itself, you spent several years there. So can you just give us a very brief historical context of what this country is? Sure. Um, I'll try to make it brief because it's pretty complex. Uh, there's Burma or Myanmar um, was a British uh it was it was under the the british uh, empire until 47 um and there it used to be a lot of kingdoms they have about 136 different nationalities in in myanmar it's a country of 55 million people and uh there was a point where they were kind of united but then um the military generals killed the general general Aung San who who united everyone um and then there was some this was like in the in the 50s and there was a few years of kind of limbo and then in the 60s officially the military took over the the government and it became a military regime for 60 years until about 2011 um and Aung San Suu Kyi the daughter of Gen- General Aung San, who was killed, she uh, was like this symbol of freedom and, and democracy fighting for the Myanmar people. Throughout the years, uh, she was in house arrest for 20 years. And they finally let her out. And they made a rule that, that basically was against her specifically that she can't become prime minister or president. So she officially so she won the elections in, in 2015 by a landslide and became like the, the country councillor or something like that but de facto a leader of the government um and the military still it was basically like two governments and the military kept their power in the places that they wanted like um immigration and, and security inside and outside of myanmar uh and in February, uh, well, in, Nove- in November of last year, they, they lost the election. There was another election. They thought they were going to win. The military thought they were going to win, and they lost. And in February, they, uh, they did, a, on February 1st, they did a coup. And 
took over the government again and arrested all the democratic government, all the leaders of the, of the um, legitimate government. And Aung San Suu Kyi <clears throat> is now being held captive somewhere. Uh, they, no one knew where she was or what her, you know, how she was doing. And, and there was, um, they now did a, a, like a trial for her, which is like, you know, basically like a mock trial because like it's, it's there everyone in the trial, you know, the judges, everything is there all under the, the military regime. So it doesn't really, you know, matter. But uh, so the first time that we've seen her and she's looking very weak and, and skinny. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Myanmar was, was closed off to the world for 60 years. They didn't have uh, internet or TV or, or anything from the outside Western world. And in 2015, it, it opened up and, and companies started moving in and there was a lot of opportunity and, and a lot of growth. And suddenly they, everyone had smartphones and internet and Facebook and, and Facebook is very strong there. I mean, the people still don't understand really how internet works. And a lot of them think that Facebook is the internet. So everything is on Facebook. For you, you grew up in Israel, which has its own complicated story with its neighbors and politically and militarily. But uh, how did you find yourself in Burma itself? Um, so there was a, a guy who was a year ahead of me in NYU, where I studied film. And he had this idea. He was telling me and, and another Israeli friend um, about Myanmar and how it's opening up. This was in 20. Uh, 14, 2013, um, and you know how it was just opening up, and all these companies are going to start moving in, and there's going to be a lot of opportunity um, because they're going to need commercials, and the the state of like the production companies in Myanmar at that time was not the best, and they the big companies would bring in uh, production companies from Thailand to make commercials. So his idea was that we go and open up a uh, like American style Western standard production company. Um, so by the time we graduated, he didn't want to go back, and the other Israeli friend didn't want to go either. And I had been saying that I'm moving to Myanmar for two years, so I moved to Myanmar. <laughs> <laughs> and had had you traveled at least in India or in the South Asia at all prior to that? No, I, I'd been to Thailand for three days when I was like 15. Um, so I, I didn't, I had no idea. Like I didn't know anything about, about Burma, about Southeast Asia. Um, and, and I just moved there alone and, and like kind of tried to like make my way. And the first two weeks were really tough. Uh, I mean, I, I remember like thinking like, what am I, what am I doing here? You know, this is crazy. Like this is the farthest place on earth. I mean, culturally and physically. Um, I remember I, I had a meeting with, with some like young director and then, and, and it wasn't, it didn't go as well as I planned. Let's say like he was basically saying that I, I shouldn't try to like be a freelance director there, that I won't succeed and I won't be able to get any jobs and stuff like that. Um, 
And then I, I walked out and it was like very discouraging and I'm standing in the middle of the street and I'm, I'm looking around and, you know, men are wearing skirts and, and uh, women are walking by with, with like baskets of food selling that I, I've never, I don't know. I, you know, I can't recognize anything <laughs> like the fruit, the vegetables, the, the foods, like anything. Um, and then I, I remember just like, it was like a shot in a, in a movie, you know, where it like zooms out this giant crane shower. I'm standing in the middle of this, this crowded street, the only tall, skinny white guy out of, you know, all of the Burmese people there. And I'm just like, what am I doing? <laughs> so great. But then, yeah, but then, but then like it, it started, it started turning around and, and um, I started getting jobs. Actually the, the first job that I got um, was is also a pretty crazy story. I I had um, I, I met someone in New York who's Burmese, um, or like Burmese American, and he gave me some names of people in in Yangon who are in the film industry. So when I got there, I just messaged them on Facebook and then set up some meetings. So this one guy, Raymond, his name is or that's his his name is Wuna. Um, so he, he was like, yeah, sure. Let's meet, you know, I'll pick you up and, and, uh, we'll, we'll go, you know, sit somewhere. So I was like, okay, great. You know, and he, he, uh, has a production company, like 25 years in the business and, uh, exactly the kind of guy I want to, you know, get, get involved with. So he takes me to a bar. I was like, okay, it's like casual, you know, and I'm like with my, with my button down shirt and my laptop and my briefcase. I'm ready to, you know, show him my showreel and talk business, you know? And then we sit down and he says, uh, do you like whiskey? I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I thought we'd take a shot and just to get, you know, things uh, rolling. And so he, he gets a bottle. I was like, Oh, this, <laughs> okay. I see. This is not, not the kind of meeting I thought it was going to be. So I like tuck my computer under the chair. I was like, uh, I roll up my sleeves, you know? Cut to like two hours later, there's 15 people at, at, our, at our table now with tons of food and drinks. And they took the instruments from the bar and they're playing and like singing. And it's like a, whole, it's a party. And I was like, this is not a business meeting. <laughs> um, so then the next day I told him like, you know, thanks. And let's meet more business-like. And so he said, okay, sure. Come, come over to my office. So I go over there and he starts telling me about the projects that he's working on and maybe how I can get involved and stuff like that. And, and then he says, but I, I'm sorry, I have to cut this interview, this um, meeting short because I, I need to go to the hospital. My brother has dengue fever. Um, and it, which is like, a, you, you get it from mosquitoes and it, it, it can be very dangerous if, if it's not treated. Um, he has dengue fever and we're looking for blood donors uh, and we can't find any blood donors yet. So I need to go there and take care of that. So I was like, I don't, I don't know what my blood type is, but you know, I'm like being polite. I was like, Oh, if you don't find anyone, you know, I can, I can go. Oh, I don't know. I was just being polite. I didn't think he was good. She said, Oh really? Okay, let's go. I was like, <laughs> uh, right now. Okay. <laughs> so, so we go to the hospital that looks like some, you know, rundown high school in like the, you know, the worst place <laughs> um 
and it's it, you know like walls peeling and like fake ceilings and it was just really a, a mess and I was like oh my god and uh they they take my blood and and check and I'm a match and uh so I donated blood to his brother and then that was that was like you know a good like first kind of like good karma move uh for a for a buddhist country i think that was a- you're a family then i mean you were not only you know dead blood you were part of his brother now now you're part of the tribe right exactly exactly my <laughs> blood is your blood so <laughs> and yeah and we ended up working together and we made a bunch of commercials for tv and and online and um yeah it was a great partnership Hi, it's Sarah Tuttle Singer from the Times of Israel. Come join our community and support fast and fair independent journalism. You can sign up with the link at the bottom of every single article on the site. I, I love how how you frame your your arrival there. So this country was opening up after 60 years. It hadn't really been in the modern world. So they're going to need commercials. Obviously, this is what one needs when a country opens up. You know, they need their commercials. So here I go and, and I can save the day and give them commercials. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's so nice. <laughs> but not only commercials are, is what you uh, dealt with there. You also had this uh, beautiful art film, uh, short film that I just watched. And as you were talking about your first impressions of being in Burma, where you're talking about the cinematic scene and, and the crane panning, I, that's basically the beginning of the film, isn't it? Where you were at this bus, uh, I don't even know if it's a station, it's this uh, de facto bus place, shall we say, where several buses are going in and out and so much is going on. There, There's obviously the goat who is you know, the star of the film, obviously, and then there's, of course, people and people with things on their heads and people with things on their cheeks and nuns and all sorts of stuff going on and and it's really that feeling of whoa we are not in Kansas anymore at all so <laughs> tell me a, a bit about the premise of of this short film uh yeah so it's um a short film 22 minutes um about a young girl who's trying to get home with a goat in time for her sister's wedding and of course, things happen along the way that prevents her from doing that. And she, you know, must prevail. <laughs> <laughs> and she definitely muscles through. But even the first shot of her is, is really interesting because this bus moves. And then we see the girl who's dressed quite Western-like. She's wearing jeans and a t-shirt that says something like, Baby, baby, I don't know, something like this. It's Standing all good, next baby, to her, baby. It's all good, baby, baby, right? Standing next to her father, which is who is wearing a skirt, because that's what men do, and uh, and holding this goat. So it was just this, um, and she has earphones on, right? And it was such a, a very uh, familiar moment for me as a mother to have her, the father was speaking to her and she's just listening to her music and not hearing anything. Then reality sinks in after she takes off the earphones. So it was just this amazing juxtaposition of the modern and the traditional. And that happens over and over throughout the film. Uh, later on, there's a scene in which 
tribesmen, I guess uh, they're called. There was this family or this group of bullies, essentially, who tried to take the goat and they were wearing orange headscarves, but totally traditional garb. And then the son is playing on his iPhone at the same time. It was just an amazing juxtaposition. And did you feel that when during your daily life in Burma? Yeah, um, they're they're still very traditional, and um, that's also something that that's really special about about Myanmar is that during these sixty years of isolation, they developed. I mean, you know, I don't know if it's it's just during that time, but but uh, I remember once talking to um, my then girlfriend Tin, who's who's Burmese, um, and I asked her like if she ever felt that she missed out by being growing up in in like this isolated country, and she said what we missed in technology and and Western culture, we made up in humanity. And I think that's very beautiful and, and very true. I mean, they're really the kindest and warmest people and always looking to help you and help each other. And, and because they couldn't trust the government, they couldn't trust the banks, they couldn't trust anyone. The only people they had to trust were each other, their neighbors, um, their families. So, so that's still very strong. And the culture is, is still very strong. They, they're, it's like they're not corrupt by capitalism yet um so the men walk around in the traditional uh skirts and the women do as well they wear traditional clothes but but the younger generation now that they're exposed to the west um walk around in jeans and a t-shirt uh but they still at the same time they'll still put on tanaka which is the um it's made it's a paste made from from a tree bark that protects you from the sun and, and it's good for the skin for wrinkles and stuff like that. So they put on uh, one layer and then they'll put on another layer for like, for beauty kind of, uh, on the day to day, it'll maybe just be a, a, like a line or a circle on the cheek. But then in special events, they, they use it like as more decorative and, um, you know, like at the end of the film, she, she has a tanaka in the shape of a leaf on her cheek. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, they, since the, the opening up in, in 2015, everyone now has smartphones. So even out in the village, like a farmer will still have a smartphone and play, you know, whatever game is, is going viral at that time. Um, and and, and yeah, and she and and I think that's that's also like the whole the whole film is that she's trying she has her culture her new culture that she's discovered um, hip hop and rap music that she likes so much and she the shirt she's wearing says it's all good baby baby it's from a line of, from a Biggie song who's uh, notorious Big is a very famous rapper in his day so she is trying to bring that into her life and her father is, is still very traditional and, and is putting up a fight against that. And that's what the film is about is, is her kind of proving herself to her dad that even though she is, you know, modern and she, she wants to listen to Western music um, and have her own opinions and, and do things her own way. 
that it's still valid and and worthy and that she's an amazing young woman and he discovers that at the end now the character that i i loved the most is the motorcyclist the zen and the art of motorcycle riding guy whose whose whole existence is just to be uh the knight in shining armor and saves her what at least twice maybe three times yeah i think three times actually throughout this very short film but he's this handsome young bodybuilder who spouts out just the best Kerouac uh, lines all the time like the the journey is more important than the destination and you can just imagine him smoking pot on the side too so how did you <laughs> come up with this particular character so originally in in like the first kind of renditions of the script it was a, a boy monk was that character uh and and then through, throughout like the the process of working on the script um i decided that that should be a more interesting character and i left the lines of the of the monk and replaced him with a bodybuilder <laughs> i just loved it <laughs> but i think guy, yeah. <laughs> so much so much um but i think the most uh you know, inscrutable character is probably the father. And his backstory is so wild. And you actually incorporate it into the film uh, in, in a very joking, backhanded way. Comente. Comente. And his backstory is just, I mean, stranger than fiction. So just give us a, a, a briefing on who this person is. Yeah, so we, we met uh, Comente making a documentary about him for short biopic for an online magazine called Coconut. Um, he, in his day job, is a, he's a rebel army leader. Um, and when we met him, he was in peace talks with the Myanmar military. Um, and that obviously ended. Uh, but he, in 88, there was an uprising of, of students in Yangon, and they uh they tried to to like fight back to the, the against the military regime and they like i think over a thousand were killed um so a lot of students ran away into the jungle and and opened um rebel armies so Comente was one of them and he was fighting in the jungle for 30 years against the the Myanmar uh, military um, at some point, he he was a, a refugee in, in Thailand um, and he started doing some voice acting. And then Sylvester Stallone came to cast Rambo 4, which is Rambo saved some missionaries from the Burmese military. And Comente was cast as the villain the Burmese captain, like the bad guy in Rambo 4. Uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a line in the film where they're talking about dreams they had as kids and and the father character, Comente, says that he always wanted to be an actor, uh, you know, like uh, Rambo. And uh, he's like, oh, actually, you know, the taxi driver's like, actually, pa, 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 yeah, well, maybe he could be the bad guy. 
and then Komen Tate's like, oh yeah, you know, they they like make a joke about it. So yeah, it's a, an inside joke that he he really was the bad man. <laughs> so funny. Now I read on your really well done website about this about the film and the backstory of several of the characters who were basically going with the philosophy of uh, fake it till you make it, such as the taxi driver who actually what didn't know how to drive. And he's driving down the highway <laughs> in your film. So the, prior to that, there were, we had some bad luck with cars and vehicles during the, the making of the film. And um, there was a, an accident with the bus on the way. There was an accident with the taxi that was driving the goats back home at, at the end of the first day. And the biker didn't apparently know how to drive, like, shift on the motorcycle i don't know so he like broke the bike and we had to find a new one it was a lot of that so then my my producer said listen you're having bad luck with vehicles we need to go to the pagoda and and give a donation as a whole the, everyone the crew and cast and crew um let's do that tomorrow morning we'll wake everyone up an hour early and do it so we everyone woke up at four o'clock in the morning we went to the pagoda gave a well which is a, a traditional donation of coconut and bananas and lit some incense and prayed and, and stuff. And, uh, and it worked. I mean, yeah, I don't know, you, you like take it as you may, but um, it worked. Everyone, I think just everyone putting their intention towards success and, and uh, it, good fortune makes, makes it happen. You can believe in, in Buddha or in whoever you want, um, but it, yeah, it, it worked. And, and good thing it worked because that day was when we shot the, taxi scene of the father and the and the driver um driving and and chatting and before when, when i was cat or after i cast the driver i i asked him if he knows how to drive and he said yeah, he's like yeah you know if it's not too complicated not too many turns and i was like i don't know driving in general isn't very complicated like it is stop go turn you know um and when we get to the, to, we're setting up for the scene, you know, it took, it took them like an hour and a half to, to put in the lighting inside the taxi and the, to rig the cameras. There was one on the side and one on, on like in front. The side camera is like a $30,000 camera. And um, the, I have the, the guy who changes focus. He's hiding in the trunk and I'm like lying on the, in the middle seats and tin was on the floor beneath, like trying to hide under the line of frame. Um, and then I, we're all ready to go. And then I see the, the comente say to the driver, um, he says, he points to the, to the pedals and he goes, this one is drive and this one is stop. Oh my God, that's just the worst thing to hear. <laughs> like there's no way it's that bad. And it's not like he said to him, oh, I know that, you know, he didn't say that. He was like, oh, okay, okay, cool, yeah. <laughs> get out of the car. I, I'm like, I, I'll drive us to where we need to get to the, to the just straight shoot of the of, uh, highway where there's not, you know, you don't need to turn because apparently that's the hard part. <laughs> right. The other thing is also that, that in, in Burma, the cars are, uh, they get them from Thailand and Japan, so it's like the in England, like the driver sits on the right side, but they also drive like they do in Israel. So the, they drive on the right side. 
So if you want to pass someone, you're, you're on the wrong, you're sitting on the wrong side. Like you can't see. You can't see anything. Oh my gosh. Wow. So. But he wasn't up to passing, I think. I mean, if you can't do turns, he's not up to passing. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. But I was because we were running late and the sun was setting and we had to film another scene afterwards. And I was like, was like driving through, you know, trying to end. The, the bad character is like, watch it, you know, because <laughs> like, I have another, not only am I on the wrong side, I have a camera on the side of the, anyway. Yeah. So we get to the, to the highway and basically he learned how to drive during the scenes. And the father character, uh, he's supposed to look nervous because he's he's going to look for his daughter who disappeared and, and you know, the wedding is tonight. So it worked to our favor that he was actually nervous because uh, the driver didn't know how to drive. And he was fixing, like, his steering under the line of frame. Like, I would see, I'm, like, hiding there, and I see him stick his hand and, like, and, like fix, you know, as the driver's, like, because also the driver is supposed to be very distracted and laughing and talking to the guy the whole time, you know? So, so it was actually dangerous because he started, you know, still kind of steering aside a little bit and the dad was like fixing him underneath the line of frame. <laughs> Amazing. You know, um, when I was in India about 20 years ago, one of the things I took away from that experience was what a woman told me on the bus. And, and I was getting nervous because we were getting late and da-da-da and plans weren't working out. And she said to me, when you think no problem, no problem. And it sounds like <laughs> there's a lot of that philosophy <laughs> going with you as well. <laughs> yeah, that's perfectly phrased. I love that. <laughs> Three days before we started filming, um, I was talking to my mom and she, you know, as a good Jewish mother, she's like, is everything ready? Do you have everything? Do you have all the actors? Do you have the, you know? And, and I was like, well, actually, no, like we're still missing, you know, three actors or <laughs> whatever we were missing. <laughs> um, and, and she says, well, are you worried? And I was like, uh, it's not going to help, <laughs> you know? So, so I think that's, that's exactly like what, what you kind of learn there is that it, it, it'll happen. Something will happen and whatever it is will be what happened. And then it'll, it'll be good. It'll be, you'll make them the most of it. Um, but trying to like force your, your vision and, and make everything happen exactly perfectly as you imagine isn't going to happen. And I think that's a really good lesson that, that you have, you know, you have what you planned and then there's life and try to combine the two and make the best of it. Um, when we shot the, the scene where the girl gets kicked off of the bus, because of her uh, problematic goat. So we, I mean, we, you know, we, we rented a bus and we got 30 extras to sit on the bus. And I had, I had written a, a whole scene that happens in the bus where the goat pulls and then he bumps into someone who drops a potato who rolls over and someone falls and, you know it was like a whole thing domino <laughs> yeah exactly and and we get on the bus and and me and my uh, uh cinematographer were like that's not gonna happen like there's no way we can <laughs> actually film like the scene that's written uh but you know you have i mean what what i needed from the scene was that 
the goat causes problems and the people get upset and she gets kicked off the bus. That's all. So I have 30 people on a bus with a goat, like be upset guys, you know, <laughs> so just like, <laughs> life. So they were just like, Oh, you know, getting like upset. And then, and then the goat gets a little nervous from that. And starts like moving around and, you know, we, we got the shots we needed and, and that was it. It was just actually real life, you know? Yeah. So now you're back in Israel and you're in Tel Aviv. Uh, what are you doing currently? Uh, so I have a production company with my sister called Kin House Creative. And we do videos, uh, everything from, from like nonprofit uh, promotional videos, to music videos and commercials um, and uh, documentary. So basically same as I was doing in Burma, only in Tel Aviv. <laughs> <laughs> in Tel Aviv, even the language you understand and with people who are slightly more predictable, perhaps than goats, perhaps. Perhaps. Danny, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Really appreciate it. And good luck in your future adventures. Thank you so much. It was great speaking to you. Thank you so much for listening to Times Will Tell and a special thanks to TLV1 Studios for sound production help. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to Times Will Tell on all podcast platforms. (laughs) 